0: Section forty of The Living Animals of the World, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nettle: The Living Animals of the World, Volume One. Mammals by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. Chapter thirteen the hollow-horned ruminants, oxen, bison, buffaloes, and musk-ox. Cattle, deer, camels, pigs, horses, tapirs, rhinoceroses, and elephants differ greatly in structure from the orders already described. They are classed as the ungulates, or hooved mammals. In most of these, such as the horse, deer, and oxen, the toes are contained within a solid hoof. In others, such as the rhinoceros, they are protected by broad nails. Great differences exist in the feet of the various groups of ungulates, caused by the degree in which the digits, or toes, remain in use or not. Except in the elephant, where there are five the greatest number of working digits found in existing forms is four. In the horse, and its surviving allies, the digits are reduced to one, in the giraffes to two. The general process, as it can be learned from the remains of the horse-like animals of the past, seems to have been as follows. One or more of the toes were developed in length and strength at the expense of the others, until, in the case of the horse only one toe remained which was enclosed in a large and solid hoof little splints on either side of the cannon bone being left to hint where the second and fourth toes had once been in the oxen and deer the third and fourth toes developed equally at the expense of the others and each gained a case or covering which makes the two parts of the cloven hoof of these groups The first group of the order of ungulates is represented by the hollow-horned ruminants. These have horns set on a core of bone, the horns themselves being hollow throughout. They chew the cud after receiving the food eaten into the first of four divisions in the stomach, whence it is brought up into the mouth and then swallowed again for digestion. The oxen, sheep, and goats— HAVE NO POPULAR NAME BY WHICH THEY ARE COLLECTIVELY DISTINGUISHED, BUT THEIR CHARACTERISTICS ARE SUFFICIENTLY WELL KNOWN. THE HORNS ARE NEVER SHED ANNUALLY, AS IS THE CASE WITH THE DEER, AND THE HOOFS ARE CLOVEN. THEY HAVE NO INCISOR TEETH IN THE UPPER JAW, A CHARACTERISTIC ALSO SHARED BY THE GIRAFFES, THE PRONGBUCK, OR AMERICAN ANTELOPE, AND THE DEER. The lower jaw has its full complement of incisor teeth. The oxen and the allied bison, yak, and buffaloes are the bulkiest and most important to man of all ruminants. Some are found in nearly all inhabited parts of the old world, and there is one North American species, now practically exterminated as a wild animal. The so-called wild cattle found in the parks of Chillingham and Chartley, as well as in Lord Lees Park at Lyme, and in that of Duke Hamilton at Cadzo Castle, Scotland, are probably not the descendants of an indigenous wild race. It is not without reluctance that the belief in their wild descent has been abandoned. But the evidence seems fairly conclusive as to the antiquity of these white cattle regarded as a primitive breed, and of the unlikelihood of their being survivors of a truly wild stock. They are almost identical in many points with the best breeds of modern cattle, and probably represent the finest type possessed by the ancient inhabitants of these islands, but they are far smaller than the original wild ox, or aurox, the ancestor of our domestic breeds the skulls of these large wild oxen which still survived in the black forest in caesar's time have been dug up in many parts of england especially in the thames valley and may be seen at the natural history museum the remains of the extinct wild ox the bos urus of the romans show that if not so large as an elephant as caesar heard its size was gigantic reckoned by any modern cattle standard whatever. It probably stood six feet high at the shoulder, and there is every reason to believe that it was the progenitor of the modern race of domestic cattle in Europe. It seems certain that the Chartley Park herd did once run wild in Needwood Forest, but so do the Italian buffaloes in the Maremma and the Spanish bulls on the plains of Andalusia. Those at Chartley— have been kept in the park which is very wild and remote, so long that they have gradually lost many of the attributes of domestication. This is even more marked in the case of Lord Tankerville's white cattle at Chillingham. An observant visitor to Chillingham lately noted that the bulls fight for the possession of the cows, and that one is occasionally killed in these combats. The cows still stampede with their calves when alarmed, and hide them for a week or ten days after they are born. The horns of the Chillingham cattle turn up. Those of the bulls of the chartley herd are straight or slightly inclined downwards. Crossbreds between the chartley cattle and some other herds of reputed ancient descent may generally be seen at the zoological gardens they remain remarkably true to type. Formerly, there were several other herds of ancient white cattle. One was at Gisborne in Yorkshire, another at chettle Park in Lanarkshire, and records of herds at Bishop Auckland in Durham, Barnard Castle, Blair Athol, Burton Constable, Nawarth Castle, and other ancient parks are preserved. Probably, all were of a breed highly prized in ancient days, which was allowed the run of the forests adjacent to the homes of their owners. Then, as the forests were cleared, they were gradually taken up and enclosed in parks. Another theory is that they were the white cattle of northwestern Italy, imported by the first settlements of Italian monks after the conversions of the Saxons. SOME DOMESTICATED CATTLE. The various species of European domestic cattle have in most cases been brought to a degree of excellence even higher than that which might be expected from the long period of time in which their improvement has been an object of solicitude to man. Of the foreign races, the dark red cattle of the Spanish peninsula, animals which have been exported to the Canary islands, and Madeira with great success, are justly famous. The white oxen of northeast Italy have been famous since the days of the Romans. The tall long-horned cattle of Hungary are excellent alike as beasts of draught and for beef. The black and white Dutch cows are, and have been, the mainstay of the dairy industry of Holland, and later, of Denmark. While the small Brittany cows are perhaps the best butter producers on the continent of Europe. But England and the Channel Islands may justly claim to rear the finest cattle of the temperate parts of the world. The diminutive Jersey cows now reared in all parts of the kingdom surpass all the animals of Europe or America in the richness of their milk, while stock from the pedigree herds. Of various English breeds is eagerly sought by foreign and continental buyers on both sides of the Atlantic and in New Zealand and Australia. These foreign strains need constant replenishing from the English herds, and the result is a golden harvest to the breeders in these islands. The shorthorn was the first breed to be brought to perfection; two main stocks, one for producing beef, the other for the dairy are recognized. They are the all-round breed most in favor, and it is said that the improvement in this race alone has raised the value of average Irish store cattle two pounds per head during the last twenty years. The shorthorns are level-backed large animals maturing very quickly. The commonest colors are roan, white, red, and red and white. Hereford cattle are red with white faces and long upturned horns. They fatten quickly on good grass and are in most demand for summer beef. Highland cattle have long horns, rough shaggy coats, and bodies of moderate size and great symmetry. They are grazed on the mountains of the West Highlands mainly, and fattened in the South. The beef is of the finest quality, Sussex cattle are an all red variety, large and formerly much used for draught and farm work. The Devons are another red variety very like the Sussex, yielding excellent and rich milk, and when fattened being a little inferior to any breed as beef. The long horned black Welsh cattle grow to a great size, as do the polled Angus breed of Scotland. The polled or hornless cattle include the red Suffolks, a most valuable breed, hardy and wonderful producers of milk. The cows often give milk every day of the year. The longhorn breed is almost disappearing, as the horns are a disadvantage both in the fields and when the animals are carried on board ship or in the train. The humped cattle of India and East Africa belong to a race different from European cattle, of which the parent stock is not known. They have a hump upon the withers, drooping ears, a sign of ancient domestication, and a very large dewlap. The coat is always exquisitely fine. They are of all sizes, from the tall brahmini bull to dwarf breeds not larger than a Newfoundland dog. The commonest colors are cream, gray, Mouse color, and white. They do not low, but grunt, and are by no means so fond of shade and water as European cattle. Wild Oxen. This group consists of the gar of India, the gale of Assam, which is possibly a domesticated form of the gar, but rather smaller in size, with skull and horns different in character, and the banting, a lighter and more slender wild ox of which different varieties are found in Burma, in Java, where it is kept in a half-domesticated condition, and in Manipur. The Gar The Gar, the so-called Indian bison, is probably the largest of all the wild bovine animals. It is found at the foot of the northeastern Himalaya in the central provinces of India, the forests of Madras, and Mysore. And in parts of Burma and the Malay Peninsula, but not in Ceylon. Its range eastward is not accurately known. In habits, the gar is mainly a forest animal, retiring always at daybreak into the depths of the jungle. It sometimes attains a height of over six feet at the shoulder and a length of nine feet six inches from the nose to the tail. The color of the full-grown gar is dark brown, turning to black. The legs from above the knees and hawks to the hooves are white, the hair being short and fine. Its horns are upturned and tipped with black, with white hair covering the junction on the top of the skull. The cows are much smaller than the bulls, standing about five feet high at the shoulder. This species feeds both on grass and on the young shoots of trees and of bamboos. The calves are dropped in August and September. The purebred animal does not appear capable of domestication. Hunting gar by tracking in the jungle has long been a favorite sport of Anglo-Indians. General Douglas Hamilton says... I have killed bulls measuring six feet at the shoulder, and the average height of the male is from five feet eight inches to five feet ten inches. An old bull gar is a magnificent animal. The normal color is a brownish black, sometimes in very old specimens, almost quite black. The white stockings reach from the hoof to above the knee, and are very conspicuous. When on the anomalies I had a grand fight with a big bull. I was out early and came on the spore of bison, and soon saw two, one a very large bull. To my disgust he lay down and was completely covered by creepers and bushes. After a bit I attempted to move to get a better view, but there to my left was a cow bison staring at me. She at once gave the alarm and I waited for the large bull to rise. This he did so quickly and disappeared so suddenly that I only got a snapshot. As I stopped to load, I saw a young calf squatting at the foot of a tree like a hare, intently watching me. I put the rifle down, crept up behind the tree, and suddenly threw myself on the little calf and managed to get a hold of its hind legs, but it got from under me. "'I managed, however, to tie its foreleg securely by means of some slender stems from the creepers. "'All this time it continued to bellow and to make a great row, "'and I fully expected to see the mother come charging down. "'I went back to the bungalow and got some men to bring my little captive home. "'After breakfast I started again and got on the track of the bison.' I saw some branches move, and on looking carefully perceived a large bull bison, but he was among the thick bushes, and I could not see his outline. I guessed as nearly as possible the position of the shoulder, and fired the big rifle at him. He gave a bound forward, and then stopped long enough for me to give him a shot with the other barrel. The next moment I saw the bull standing on the high ground above us, I fired again, and hit him well behind the shoulder. He dashed off, but only went fifty yards, and then stopped. I walked up, thinking to finish him, when he made a fearful rush at me. My man put the double rifle into my hands, and then bolted, and I thought it prudent to retire and await my opportunity. But he only moved a few paces forward, and then stopped. Then... "'began a regular siege of his position. "'The result of the siege was that the bison received four more bullets, "'charged and routed the hunter twice, and then walked off. "'It was shot twice more, charged again, "'and was finally killed by General Hamilton "'with his hunting-knife tied to a bamboo-spear pole. "'Considering the size and tenacity of life of the gar, It is rather wonderful that more accidents do not occur in the pursuit of this animal. But as it lives mainly in thick jungle, where large trees grow, the sportsman has more chance of getting out of sight of a wounded animal than when attacked by the Indian buffalo, which generally haunts jungles of high grass. THE GALE The doubt whether this animal is found in a wild state has recently been considerably increased. It is well known in a semi domesticated condition in which it is kept by the tribes in and around the Assam valley, where the wild gar is also found. These herds roam during the day freely in the jungle and return to be fed at the villages. It has been stated that the wild gale are enticed to join the tame herds by feeding them with balls of meal and salt. But these wild specimens may be only those which have belonged to or have descended from the domesticated herd. Gale have been kept in England, not only in the zoological gardens, but in some parks, and crossed with English cattle. The offspring furnished excellent beef, but were rather wild and intractable. The horns of the gale are thicker and flatter than those of the gar, and placed lower on the skull and farther apart. The domesticated gale stands lower than the gar, but is a very massive animal. The Banting The common wild ox of the Malay countries of Borneo, Java, eastern Burma, and northwards, in Manipur, resembles the European oxen rather more than does the gar. In size, the bulls sometimes reach five feet, nine and a half inches. The old bulls are black, the younger bulls chocolate red, and the cows a bright reddish brown. The rump is marked with a large white patch, and all have white stockings from above the knees and hawks down to the hooves. The tail is considerably longer than in the gar coming well below the hawks. As might be expected from its distribution, the size of this animal and the shape of the horns vary considerably in the different districts which it inhabits. In Borneo, the horns often curve forward. In Java, they spread outwards. In the latter island, large herds of this species are kept in a state of domestication. When wild, Banting live in small herds, and in Burma feed from early morning until ten o'clock, when they retire into the jungle for shelter. The Manipur race is smaller than that of Burma, of which the males are not black, and the bulls have not the white rump. End of section forty. Recording by Nettle.